Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. No. Ready, ready, no. ready? ready? No. Yeah, do it. No. Do it. Wait, Come on, Derek. Come on. You can do it. Yes. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't like that. One. Yeah. Welcome that to good. episode number of the Carmudgeon Show, part of the Haggerty Broadcasting Podcasting Broadcasting Network. This episode addresses sponsored by the Helena Rubenstein Foundation. That's what I was going to say. Public broadcasting. Anyway. Yes, uh, the financial support of viewers like you, Maryland Public Television, Owings Mills, Maryland two one 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 seven two seven. I think it's seven. Oh, oh. Uh, this episode is about the Lotus uh, Vox Hall Opal Carlton Omega. Yeah, was that all the right five words? I, think I that don't was five know. words. Yes, uh, and Jason's uh, f- recently forthcoming, but now fourth came episode about it revelations episode about the carlton my fifth came not my fourth came uh, uh we just sort of go fairly in-depth dive on the carlton driving impressions some factoids that didn't make it into the uh revelations video? episode and a vote at the end that will shock your pants film <laughs> at 11 I was just hoping that we could start the episode with your, what was your term? Coffee-induced evacuation. Oh, right. <clears throat> I wouldn't know. I don't drink coffee. This is just what I hear. Popular lore says it makes you evacuate. <laughs> We're not. I gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta, you gotta go. evacuate. <laughs> <clears throat> Paolo is still making adjustments to make us look pretty. <laughs> Turn the lights off. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this episode is going to be audio only. Mm -hmm. Right. No, I mean the Carmudgeon show TV screen lights up. Uh, Come bask in the warm glow of my TV screen. Yes. In this episode, which um, addresses your upcoming episodes on miscellaneous topics. I think it might have been one of them might have already happened. Oh, that's right. I think. One of them was last week. I can't keep track of who were, where are time, you? If we're right. time traveling correctly, then this episode that we're discussing about the Lotus Carlton Vauxhall Omega. Did, was that Apollo evacuation or was that the glug, glug, glug water thing that just went... Who can say? Apollo can probably say. Um, uh, yes. Vauxhall so, Omega uh, Lotus... Opal. You can do Carlton. all the combinations, but you can't do Vauxhall Omega. So it's either Vauxhall, yes, Vauxhall Carlton, Carlton, Opal Omega, or Lotus, Lotus Carlton, Carlton Lotus Omega. Omega. Yeah. Um, so I believe we will have already have done launched the uh, Revelations episode on the Lotus Carlton. One of my dream cars. Um, Me too. As a child, I desperately wanted one. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So my parents, when we lived in Germany, had an Omega wagon. So when we first got there, the car that was in the driveway. This is like the European continental equivalent of a Ford Taurus wagon. Yeah, pretty much. Which is funny because when we lived in the States, my parents had cool cars. My mom had you know, the, the Saab 900 Turbo that we've talked about before. became a Peugeot 505 STX V6. Mm, PRV. Because the dealership was right down the street. And she could walk there and she got sick of being in tow trucks all the way for 45 minutes in each direction to the Saab dealer. So she's like, it's local. I'm buying it. Uh, my dad had a Land Cruiser. 
Um, and so we get to Germany and the company car is in the, in the driveway and it's my dad's company car, obviously. And it's a, it was a two liter blue, I don't have any pictures of it, so you're not going to get an insert. Uh, it was a blue two liter five speed Opel Omega wagon. And my mom was like, Oh, executive car. Fuck no. It's slow. It's that. That was an eight valve. It was 115 horsepower. Uh, so my dad then wound up ordering a 2.4 liter silver Omega wagon with a stick and air conditioning. And my mom hated that too because it was just too big for the town that we lived in. It was an yes. enormous car. It's too big for that whole continent. That's the joke is the size of a current Honda Civic. But yeah, way too big. Is it um, really? Yeah. It's the same size as today's Civic. It feels Civic. quite physically large when yeah. you're operating that apparatus. It's very wide, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but same as a Civic. Hmm. I have um, not admittedly driven a modern Civic. They're huge. They're huge. Huh. Um, <clears throat> so then, but then we wound up with a Cadet. She wound up with a Cadet GSI convertible, two liter, eight valve. So 115 horsepower, five speed, white on, white on, white on, white. It was super cute. And she raced everyone all over and that was much better. And she liked that better because it was more compact. Yeah. Uh, Opel Cadet, this would be the Pontiac Le Mans in the US? This was a D Cadet. So Opel uses A, B, C, D, E, you know, and for their sure? generations, it was a D Cadet. I think... Oh, so this I was a generation was... or two later than the... No, I think, I think Le Mans was, this was like 1992... And mm. I feel like Le Mans was a D also, but we'd have to look that up. I wasn't in this the US. This is decidedly but. outside of my zone of deep knowledge. But more importantly, we had a 2.4 liter Omega. You know, your choice was a 182024, or then you could get a 3000 and then a 3024 valve. And there was a girl at school whose parents had a Ferrari 400. And I just thought she was like the coolest thing in the world because A, she was very cool. And B, her mom drove a 400. And then one day I saw her dad dropping her off in a Carlton. Uh, mm. Nana Carlton, it would be in uh, Lotus Omega. And I was just like, ah, and yeah. I ran over and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, you know, you totally outwifed your wife. And he's like, oh, I love this because it's very understated and no one notices it. Um, and since then, that was just always like six beads in the gearbox and two turbos on a three six. Yeah. I mean, the biggest motor you could get in that car was three liters. So the fact that Lotus punched it, they stroked it out to three six would have been insane to begin with until they added two turbos yeah yeah and what else could you buy in that period with a six-speed you'd buy a ferrari 456 gt corvette zero c4 corvette zero one but not yeah Europe. and a 959 although first was really galenda terrain gear but yeah. it is technically but six technically ratios six but yeah that was the so to, it was the first sedan ever with the six-speed transmission is that right i <laughs> don't know but i would suspect so yeah um, but you know, nothing, it was just, nothing had that kind of power. 377 horsepower in right. 1991. When of course the, what are we most frequently comparing to you compared to the 500 E, which is 325 ish horsepower, 322, 326, depending what you're asking or what year it is. And then, M5. And then the M5, which was initially three. 110 horsepower and then it was 340 when they went to the 38 and the interesting thing is so th when they went to the 38 which i believe was after the carlton right that was like 92 92 so it was after the carlton. for the european market and never for the u.s market so when the lotus omega carlton came out it was i've been I, for the video i call them the carlton omega because they're twins when the the lotus carlton yeah omega so came to out, clarify one is the version for the continental europe for the continental europe for continental europe and the other is a version for the uk and that one 
Omegas are made by Opel, which is sold in Germany and, and on the continent. Sorry, not made by our badge yeah. as... Well, oh, sorry, they're a regular base model car. Uh, so Vauxhall is the British version and and uh, Opel is the European continental version. And Correct. Accordingly, and left-hand those, drive versus right-hand drive. And both of those are owned by Opel. So, yes. uh, by G- General Motors, GM, I'm sorry. And Gen- they yeah. are um, all made in Germany. Correct. So all of the... So uh, General Motors... Uh, to, just to clarify, General Motors Europe is sold as Opals in con- on the continent. Fox Unless Sols. it's a Corvette. Oh yeah. Well, I mean the Cadillacs too, and they. I mean they do yes. sell other things, but they're they're Western European brand, which is no longer owned by GM. Isn't it like being shit canned or something? No, it's P. I, it's well, now probably, part of Peugeot or something. Peugeot, yeah, that's mind blowing to me. Can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine like all of a sudden Pontiac got spun off and ended Dodge. up being owned by I mean, oh. some. By Nissan. For the vast majority of the last 30, 40 years, Opals have been among the top selling brands in Europe. So can you imagine all of a sudden, like you take a top selling brand here, Toyota, all of a sudden Toyota is now owned by BMW. Like, yeah. And it's French now instead of being American slash German. Weird. Yeah. Anyway. so And the, especially because there's decades of this. I mean, this, this is ingrained in yeah. the hierarchy of german automobiling which is that you know you buy a german ford or an opal if you can if you can't afford a bmw or an audi or a mercedes that has been that is a decades-long tradition that stretches back to the early post-war years and now will if if opal continues to exist now it's french and let's be honest about one thing Everyone hates the French. So, I mean, the Germans certainly do. They, the they're Americans not, certainly do, too. I mean, that's a joke, and I don't really mean that. But, you know, French cars are their own thing. And German cars, are, the Germans are very proud of German cars. When you yes. look at the top-selling cars in Germany, they're all German. There's very few. There's Nissan Qashqai now, for example. It's sort of broken through. But for the vast majority of the last 30 years, Japanese cars, American years. cars, and other European cars have just... So anyway, the fact that Opel is no longer German is insane. Um, but yeah, so Opel comes out in 1987 with the Omega, uh, which was badged Lotus Carlton. I'm sorry, Vauxhall Carlton in the UK. Uh, it promptly wins the European Car of the Year award. It was very well received. What year was that? 87. And when did the 405 do that? Wasn't uh, 405 also? Uh, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, yeah. okay. God, how do I remember that? It's crazy. Um, yeah, so European Car of the Year, big fanfare. The big deal with this car was it was very aerodynamic and technologically advanced. Opel had had a well-earned reputation for building boring cars that were, you know, old school, old tech, cheap crap. Um, and GM, GM of Europe. GM, exactly. And they wanted, so that one of the things that they did was comply with forthcoming emissions regs years and years and years before anyone asked them to so all of opal cars were sold with catalytic converters for example starting from i think 88 or something and that was not the case for bmws and mercedes they wanted to be to take a jump ahead and so omega and vectra and cadet cadet won car of the year the year before so it was 86 was opal cadet which is their small car that's uh golf size and then omega and then uh calibra came out a year after that and that was the most aerodynamic car in production um, but the Omega was 0.28. That was huge. Better than an Audi 100. Which was 0.30, right? In 1983. Yeah. So they, I mean, this car looked future. It's flush glass. I mean. Yeah, it's the continental equivalent of a Ford Taurus. Of the original Ford Taurus in the, that. In yeah. that it was like, I mean, because mm-hmm. the Ford Taurus, before the Ford Taurus, Ford was making the LTD. Right. Which, you know, looked like it was from the 70s because it was. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, they're getting with it, getting yeah. contemporary, getting so hip to these aerodynamic children of the... 
right. modern era. And, you know, they put ABS in it and they, you know, they were just really t- stepping it up. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, 1986, uh, General Motors had purchased Lotus. Uh, Lotus's business, the majority of their business was actually consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had... C, Lotus. sidebar for Isuzu, handling by Lotus, right. Impulse, etc., and the iMark. So interesting. I read an article, strangely, on Haggerty's UK media website, uh, an interview with Mike Kimberly, uh, who was the head of Lotus at the time. And he said, he confirmed that Lotus had been working with companies from every single car company on the planet bar one and they wouldn't say what it was but i'm like oh it's got to be ferrari one of the guys worked on testarossa so i that's not it it must have been like lamborghini or something but they literally they literally worked on car company every car company in the world and were in the process of making the zr1 engine the at the yes Um, the all-important overhead cam double overhead cam Four valve per cylinder. Which was never the tradition among Corvettes for making big power. And until this year's Z06 was never again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, the episode is great. You should watch it because the backstory is fucking amazing. Um, what happened to this car, it, it was vilified in the press, uh, even though there was nothing wrong with it. Did you talk um, about 40RA in I the did. video? I mentioned it, so we should talk about that. Yes, 40RA is famous uh, for having been used... In a number of robberies. I mean, there's a great British tradition of uh, bandits using fast sedans as getaway cars. And this certainly dates back at least to the 50s, late 50s, early 60s with Jaguars. They were always using Jaguar Mark IIs. Uh, And this is probably part of the origin of whenever you watch the Top Gear guys talking about Jaguar owners. They're always like, he's the guy who, you know skips the bill at dinner or, or whatever it is. Yeah. But there's this sort of bad guy association with Jaguars in, in Great Britain, which of course we don't have. We nope. associate them with people who are oh. in caskets, <laughs> basically. Uh, and so... Uh, Not yet, technically. Well, yeah. It's basically yeah. a, a, a it's, test drive of a casket. It's God's waiting room. Yes, as, as a like Florida. Yeah. Florida. Florida. Uh, so there, there's a sort of bad guy association yeah. with Jaguars that began uh, in the 60s, maybe, or I don't know when it began. This is not an area of expertise, but certainly it existed. Jaguar 2 is great for this because you could put four people in it and it had an E-type engine with 265, 220 horsepower anomaly uh, in the 3.8 form. And so the Carlton, of course, was used for this purpose uh, the most famous example of this is 40RA. That's the registration number because in the UK, oftentimes people refer to a specific car by its registration number. And this car was plate, right? That's yes, on the, plate. the plate number, license plate number. Uh, and I guess this car was used a number of times in a number of crimes and uh, reportedly ended up uh, in the bottom of a canal. Uh, and then now the plate is back in circulation on a Carlton, of course, That's by so some, awesome. you know, because it's such a legendary yeah. plate number. Whoever bought that plate, which is a private plate, you know, it could be traded hands. It's not attached to the vehicle it belongs to the owner so somebody bought the plate and put it on a carlton and it's circulating again it's so a carlton cool. a different carlton yeah. a non-canal they um there so i didn't really go into detail in the video because first of all the video was getting too long but the uh there was a a, a what the hell was it it wasn't a smash and grab there was a a ram raid is what they were calling so people were they using drive cars. through the f- facade of a building exactly they were bu- stealing cars and without any regard to the car they would smash into the building jump like into a convenience store and steal a bunch of shit and get the fuck out and the problem with the carlton was that the cop cars couldn't keep up and these guys mm-hmm. became increasingly more brazen mm-hmm. and finally i think one of their last hits was they ram raided a store that was 30 meter 30 yards according to the police report from a police station and the cops still couldn't catch them 
There um, is a wonderful video from Sweden. I Did you that. see it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's a this great video of... Um, I guess in Sweden, police cars are limited to 200K. Is that what it is? Or something I think like this that? was just a Saab a But Saab it, was a, it was a police turbo. car that's at its maximum speed, and you, you have the speed readout, and you can see that it's VMAX because the speed is no longer increasing, and the Carlton's just like, it's just fucking, gone, it walks it away. It just fucks right I mean, it's off. a 50 mile an hour speed difference yeah. between the cars. It was the acceleration. Top end. Like when, yeah, when if you, they're both at VMAX. You see the Carlton pull out into the left lane and just gun it. And at the same time, you hear this little anemic 16-valve turbo in the Saab. Just, and you see the speed start to climb, but the Carlton just leaves. Yes. Leaves. Post-haste. Amazing. Um, so there's a lot of iconography around yeah. this car. And it, I mean, it looks the part, too. It so looks so you, sinister, thank I you. think. I think so, too. So I think the car is a 10 on the on the look scale nine mm. gorgeous understated q ship yeah. evil sinister but like really a lot of presence and they're all the same color they're all imperial green which mm-hmm. looks black most of the time so it's a dark color and it's got these huge fender flares and big, big wheels, wheels and a wing and all that stuff uh but here's my question so anthony so my funny my mom walks up and remember we had two opal omegas and she's not a car person at all and she i'm like does this look familiar and she's like not really. She kind of looked at the front. She's like, this thing is stunningly beautiful. And I'm like, I agree. And I thought that was very interesting. Anthony was like, my director who does all the videos with me, Esposito, was like, yeah, I just don't like that it's so trashy, tacked on, whatever. I'm like, what? He's like, it's just so over the top. And I'm like, it is so understated. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough to me, everything is so well integrated yeah. that it's just understated. We had an M1 here doing a, th- a thing on the owner of that was like, this car is be- also not thir- in his 30s, um, like you, in his 90s. Um, you know, old gentleman was like, it's stunning, it's understated, simple. But Anthony was like, this is over the top and stupid. Tacky. Tacky. He thought it was tasteless. I find that so interesting because I think the car is just perfectly Q-ship. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really menacing, but it's it's tastefully done. It's well integrated. It doesn't, I don't think it looks, I mean, it's obviously added on because there's the part lines where the right. fender flares and mm-hmm. the body kit all are. But I think it's really integrated. It's not like the body kit came out of a box and it was intended for a different car and they stuck it on. Like it yeah. is all clearly part of the same aesthetic. They took this the existing aesthetic and just sort of enhanced it. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Uh, it's not like a botched plastic surgery job. It's actually it was all done in Germany. So mm-hmm. Opel wanted to do some body work for it. Opel. So the the backstory that I didn't really get a chance to get into. There's a couple of different ways to sell this, tell the story of this car. Is that Opel stood in Lotus's way every step along the way. So did Chevy. So Chevrolet had an exclusive with that ZF6 speed for the Corvette. Lotus needed it because it was the only transmission in the world that could handle the torque output from this 3.6. The manual. The manual. Um, and did I say automatic? No, you just said okay. the only transmission. Yeah. I assume that there was probably some automatic out there somewhere that could do it. 410 pound feet of torque? Yeah, yeah, maybe. But the only manual. Um, and Chevy said no. Chevy was like, no, 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 we have an exclusive on this for the Corvette. And it took Bobby. And it's made by Getrogs? No, it's ZF. Um, and so it took this, the, the chairman of General Motors to, to call and threaten and say, you're going to fucking give this to us. You know, Lotus is one of our other brands like this, you know, Chevy, Pontiac, Buick, Lotus. Blah, blah. So that happened. And then Opel flat out refused to make any changes to the car on the production line. So things happen, for example, like it has fender vents, uh, it has hood vents, two vents in the hood. Um, and the 1990 model cars 
uh, Opal refused to even cut holes in the hood. So the cars were shipped wholesale. They were complete, in fact, 99.9% complete, and sent to uh, the UK. But with flyer wheels on them. With flyer wheels and bumpers and... uh, Basically wheels that they would pop off and then send back and put on the next one. And the motors. They'd send the motor back. It was, it's crazy. But the, the the way they had to hack the hood apart, they couldn't guarantee that they'd be able to pack it up correctly. And so the first year cars have this huge bevel, like a huge lip around it. Uh, and all of those cars were recalled after Bob Eaton saw it and was like, again, chairman, what the fuck is going on here? I'm sure it was his reaction. Um, and then forced Opal to laser cut the holes in the hood so they could get rid of that trim piece. Um, they were just, Opal was adamant about standing in Lotus's way. So the, the cars were built in Germany and then sent complete to Lotus where they were hacked apart. And they literally took plasma cutters to the wheel arches, which is insanity. Yeah. That's the way things um, get built. It was the, it was the way you built a hot sedan in that era. Apparently. I mean, if you get to the way Mercedes and Porsche were building 500 E's in terms of having to go back and enough. forth and get yeah. cut apart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then of course the story of the powertrain selection for the car, I think is really interesting. Is that also in your video? It's in the video. Yeah. They originally I envisioned have watched it, but it's not out it's, yet because we're time traveling. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. No, the, I mean, the, the idea was how do you take Opal and get us, give it a sporty image. Right. Um, and so there's a number of ways you could make a fast sedan. And uh, one of the, so the, the, it wound up, by the way, with 50 more horsepower than the, or 60 more horsepower than the M5, but 150 pound feet of torque more than the M5. Like it's insane. Yeah. Cause the M5 has this racy, naturally aspirated engine that is revving very high and doesn't have much torque by comparison. Right. And this was just nuts. I did notice that when driving it, um, torque all over. Oh yeah. Like really, really torquey. It's, it's nuts. Probably my favorite driving characteristic of the car is the way that as you are sort of emerging from normal situations, you just sort of dip in the throttle and you feel the whole car sort of react to that. It's very like responsive to torque, mm-hmm. um, which is very abundant at all RPM. So it's, We'll talk it's, about the, the drive in a second because I have not yet talked to you about it. So he took, he got in the car, the car's in the other room, Derek got in it and drove it around and we have not said a word about it yet. That's right. Um, so, so you're getting... We, Raw reaction. So we've talked uh, looks. Well, yeah, engine. We have to right. finish discussion okay. discussion of the engine. It was it was originally, and this makes sense because Lotus is supposed to be, or they did develop the four cam Corvette engine, the LT5. Yes. And so they would have loved to put that engine in the Carlton because they're working on it and they're like, yeah, naturally aspirated V8. That's what you want for right. something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Didn't what fit. happened? Didn't, didn't fit. fit. It would have required extensive modifications to the front crash structure, which would have meant this rehomologating like, it. Uh, like they, a Mercedes 500E. The joke, well, yeah. The, well, then joke of this whole thing was that the project actually started with the Senator, the Opal Senator. And this is very confusing because the Senator- because yes, they look exactly the damn same. No, that's the weird part. To me, they look very different, but they're really? the same car. Oh. So the Senator, uh, that generation Senator was on the same platform, same wheelbase, same everything, but a different body. And it was made to look old man. It almost looks uh, Cadillac STSE mm. on in that generation. Um, but it's the same running gear and the same body underneath as, but it's just sort of like the prestige flagship old man, whatever. Uh, American car companies did this a lot during this period. Yeah. You get like the Chrysler New Yorker versus the Dodge Fury. Although right. those two looked pretty similar. They looked but similar. Like but these, the, totally uh, different LHS bodies. versus the Concorde, for example. Yeah, for example. Um, versus Intrepid, which is, the, you know, again, same body. Uh, same chassis, different body. Um, and so they... Uh, 
they were originally talking about a Holden and for marketing reasons, they realized that that Senator was a luxury flagship and there was no build up to a sporty model. Mm. So in Omega, you had again, a one, eight, a two, Oh, a two, four, a three liter. And Opal was working on a 24 valve head for the three liters. And that would have been like a GSI in the, in the UK or, or an Omega 3000 24 valve. And so you had a build of, of sportier, progressively sportier models. And this could be the range topper for that. And it was six weeks before the car was supposed to debut at the Geneva Auto Show where they made the decision to go with an Omega and not the Senator. Oh, that's insane. They had six weeks to put together the fucking car. Um, and they did. They got it. And it debuted alongside the ZR1. It was C4 ZR1. the 24 valve was out already or did it the come out contemporaneously? Four valve, I think, came out after that show. Ooh, that's awkward. Yeah. And so that's why Opal hated this project. You can right, imagine. Right, because they were like, we've been working on this extra sporty model. Yep. And then... Yeah, and it's it has, just it's shit just, all over yeah. it, right? Not only was it, you know, it's in the 3000 was not a slouch. This was the thing about the aerodynamics, right? Aerodynamics in the 1990s were there for fuel economy and, 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 and a byproduct of that was top speed. And if you have a CD of 0.28, you doesn't take a lot of power to go very fast. So the base car was in 1987 was 82 horsepower and it still was good for a buck 10, I think, or buck 12. It was seriously fast. <laughs> and then the 3000 model at the time was the earlier 12 valve. It was 156 horsepower out of three liters. So now you know where they got their reputation for low tech, but it was good for a buck 35. And then the later 3000 got different fuel injection, made some more power. And the, and the, the 3024 did 147, 148 miles an hour. This was genuinely fast stuff for the early 1990s um and so when you put two turbos on a stroked out 3.6 liter version of that straight six well now you're good for 177 and that's with all the body kit on it imagine if they i mean do you know what the c sub d is of the uh 30 still 30 even with all that stuff on it 307 with and this will wind up i hope in the video the it is zero downforce zero up for no lift mm. i think it was 14.7 pounds of downforce at 168 miles an hour like it's okay lotus so it was very aerodynamically crazy. efficient yeah yeah um not generating lift at that speed with like that level of aerodynamic subtlety i mean it's got a front lip and it's got a lip and it's uh, got a spoiler, spoiler but, but still you're still dealing with yeah, a sedan yeah. shape yeah um it's really impressive yeah. which is intrinsically shaped like a wing which would normally generate lift lift of course yeah. well but it's lotus right i mean lotus was not going to fuck around with this right. cleverness they um they put self-leveling suspension on it because it's a semi-trailing arm and semi-trailing arms have a big a lot of camera oh. change at, at uh full droop mm -hmm. and what they found was that at top speed which by the way was published at 177 but german tuff clocked the car at 183 182 or 183 and made them change tire pressures because that put it in a different speed class. Right? This thing was seriously fast. And so it had five degrees of negative camber at the back at full full load. And that's not safe. Full load, you mean maximum speed? Yeah. Ma oh. No, max weight and max speed. Uh. So that's what they had to do is self-level it to raise the back up to make sure that you, know, so you didn't blow a tire. So it's got rear suspension. That's um, probably why they added SLS to the 500E. It might be. Because yeah. the other W124s don't yeah. have SLS. The 2316 does the too. And the E, the M5 also had SLS during this period. Yeah, could be. I've always wondered why they have SLS in the back only on all these cars during this period. I mean, also in wagons, which for obvious reasons, because you're putting right. shit back there. But all of those cars have always been puzzled by the fact that they all have SLS. But now... Well, the five I the five like Mercedes stuff, stuff shouldn't have camber change at the back. So I don't... That might just be a function of they wanted to retain aerodynamic I mean, it could be and stability. aerodynamic stability. stability. Yeah, because if you're getting... 
well, if your car is doing this or this or whatever, um, right, it's going to change basically the angle of attack of exactly. the car and ch- change how much lift. But in generates. this case, the, that self level five degrees of negative camber is insanity. Yeah, that's um, wild. But uh, yeah, so the thing was a monster that was um, nothing could keep up with it, and the Germans had just signed their so so no Corvette engine. So oh, then they sorry, were like yeah. six cylinders instead. Yeah. And so that cylinder was twenty. That six cylinder was twenty something years old. I mean, it was a nineteen sixties engine so they put the they took the the final but they decision. added a 24 valve head or t- yeah. a twin cam head yeah the final decision was a twin cam 24 valve head from the new 3024 valve and they actually tried it so there, by the way there were a bunch of different v8s they were gonna they looked at zr1 they also looked at lotus's etna v8 which was a possibility for zr1 also and that was two lotus four cylinders joined at the crank and this was a concept car that lotus came out with like an 84 or mm-hmm. something like that and then of course later on they did make an eight-cylinder engine, but this is before the Esprit V8. Yeah, and this was their, they were trying to sell this engine to everyone, no one bought it. They also looked at a Holden 5-liter, so Holden being Australia's GM, GM, uh, and none of that fit, so they went with the straight six, and they did... Did they look at a pushrod Ameri- uh, Corvette engine? Pro- the Holden was probably what they looked at. Sure. Um, I don't think that would have, those, you know, the American stuff just didn't rev and didn't make horsepower. Um, so what they wound up with is they looked at three six, three liter. Three six, three nine, and four liter displacements. Engineered all of them, and then settled on so the three liter needed too much too much boost to get the power they wanted. Mm-hmm. The four liter couldn't handle it, uh, and the uh, three nine pushed the block too far. Right, so they went down to three nine. Still didn't work. So they settled on three six with two turbos. Um, they were going to do a four liter without turbos. That didn't make enough power. I mean, it's, are they sequential or are they one for they're each one for each bank of three? Yeah, um, okay. And so they, um, but interestingly enough, they sold off the three nine four liter uh, variants to Ermshire and a bunch of Opel tuners. So the people really? made those engines because GM had done the, the engineering. Enforced induction form. The th- smaller one was the three, three liter. Oh. The three nine, I think three nine and four liter were NA. They were like, please use these NA. Yeah, here, have them. It was like I'm sure, and one other tuning company. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. I've seen that happen a couple times where they've done, you know, an OEM has done engineering and. Like can't, we can't put a warranty on right. this, but if you guys but want to sell you, it to your customers yeah. who understand that their shit may blow up, then right. feel free. I mean, and it worked. A four liter NA worked, four liter version of that engine. But it, it's not a particularly smooth straight six. It was known to be harsh, um, but it's from the 60s. I mean, like, you know, this was... How do, is it over square, under square? Oh, the, I think it's under square, but the Lotus is stroked from three liters, its biggest form, to three six, and I think then it becomes over square. Mm-hmm. It doesn't revs to 6400. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah i mean in that sort of turbocharged form you probably aren't going to go too much more than that anyway even with twin turbos i was very impressed by it doesn't have that much lag by compared to contemporary cars that are turbocharged from that era i mean compared to like an rs2 for example or a porsche 930 i don't think it has very much lag. it's got a huge amount of displacement if you think about it i mean what was three that was the crazy thing about those cars porsche turbo Fair enough. But single turbo. Single turbo. We don't think about this in the U.S. A 3.6 liters was an immense engine yeah. in Europe in, in 1991. And yeah. so the fact that it was that huge to begin with, plus two turbos, was all the more insane. Yeah. Um, so this particular car uh, is owned by a guy that I would now consider a friend. Um, uh, we met at Bruce Canapa shop on a tour, and he came over and started talking, and he's telling me about his cars, and I'm like, you are my hero. Can I have your Colton? Um and sent it over here and it's got some mods on it so what uh he told me was uh the original owner of the car either worked or knew someone who worked at lotus and they were clearing out the back room 
and they had an, a, comp- a prototype competition block, which was strengthened, sitting around. And so he took it. Uh, and then uh, same, dis- I think it was same bore and stroke and compression and everything else. And then had head work done on the on the regular head for you know v- valve work done. They hollowed out the Garrett T25 turbos and put T28 impellers in it. And it's running factory programming. But this is the craziest thing. I immediately called him. I'm like, this isn't stock. This fucking thing is 500 horsepower if, you know, all day. And he was like, hmm. So, and how I knew this was, A, number one, it's way faster than I expected, which I expected it to be insane. Uh, And then I watched the boost gauge and it's supposed to, it's supposed to have a waste gate at 10 pounds and it's supposed to stabilize at 8.7, 8.7 PSI. And it spikes to 22 and then hangs out at 20 pounds, like in first and second, 16 and third. And so obviously it's got a gear by year gear strategy. I don't know how that's done. Uh, 20 pounds of boost on a three, six, I mean, whatever. So he calls and finds out. So apparently on all of the cars, there was cheater programming built into the ECU. If you turn the headlights on and, held the car at 2000 RPM for more than 30 seconds, it would engage the cheater programming, which is what they gave in the media cars. And this car is now programmed to run that programming all the time. So it's the Lotus factory tune cheater tune, which might be why the German authorities got 182 or 183 out of it instead of 177. And then the later cars could only do 169, 172, somewhere in there, all the magazines got there. So I find that so fascinating. Um, Interesting. So all you Carlton owners out there, Try it. You just, uh, yeah. You just got some horsepower. Start it. Headlights on. Over two thousand RPM for thirty seconds and go. Over or at? At. I think it was at. Was a, look. I, this was third hand information. I certainly wasn't going to start calling around at Lotus because then I'm somebody's going to get in trouble and whatever. I'm just repeating what the guy who worked at Lotus told the guy who sold it. Whatever. Um, Impossible to trace. Who can say? So let me tell you. The first time I floored that fucking thing. Third gear on the highway, I was doing 70. So it's a 55 mile an hour first gear. Yes, really I noticed long. it has very tall first gear. That was one of my first impressions. It lit those fucking rear tires up and I did a quarter of a mile long burnout at 10 degrees opposite lock. Just fucking screwed. The shit that came out of my mouth, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> no, I, mean, I have no, never seen you embarrassed. I, I said shit that I, I, wow, never. It fucking, it's psych. Cotic. So now what did you say when you floored it? Uh, yeah, I thought it was really stout. <laughs> Come on. Come on, you, you Mr. Understated. Uh, I mean, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's outrageously fast. It's, <laughs> it's so I don't think I had anything to say at all other than just like, what the fuck? Okay. It's, um, <laughs> it feels a little overpowered. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Uh, which is maybe the segue into the rest of the car. Uh, really grabby brakes. The brakes feel confidence-inspiring. Um, I really struggled to heel toe in a way that didn't um, by the time rearrange you... my the, the contents of the inside of my head. This car has the most grabby brake pedal I think I've ever felt, and I also noticed that by the time the brake lights are gone are on, you are all four wheels are locked. The ABS doesn't work in this car for whatever reason, but I. Found that out the hard way. It is, the pedal is ludicrously responsive and it's impossible with yes. a long throw. Yeah. I think I, you have to be going like 140 and then you can heel toe well because then you're pretty deep in the brakes. Yeah. Right. But like trying to do second, third into second heel towing, I was <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm so bad at driving. 
that was the way that the car made me feel yeah. uh, in that respect. What else to note about it? The noise is kind of BMW-y. I found the noise sort of reassuring and familiar, and I couldn't quite place it. The whole car thing. is like, I, I feel like I know it, but I can't figure out where from. You know, it's very strange because it... I have the I have that same impression. Like I know this right now. My parents had one. I think I drove them once when I was a kid. You know, it's I've not never like driven I, an Opal. Right. No, okay. I drove an Opal Corsa, which is their to, you shit know, box. You know why it feels familiar to me is I think it's 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 got a steering box. And the mm. there's the weird thing about it is it's very heavy steering. Not very, but it's heavy steering. I liked it. Uh, I, I like, like it. Steering. But I don't like the fact that so Mercedes when the steering boxes have play in them. You have a, a, a zero effort zone that you can just flick back and yes. forth with your fingertips. Yes, yes. And then you then you know exactly. And then it's pretty linear from there. Right. This is just heavy with stiction the whole way. And you're like, why? Oh, there's the steering. Oh, the, so I didn't love the steering. Yeah. But the combination, the steering and the brakes together made the car, made me feel like I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I was operating the car. The quote that I give to Anthony when we were driving is the control waiting is all over the place. Every single control re- reacts yeah, the brakes are very way. light. The, the steering is very is, heavy. I thought it was normal, oh, which means heavy, I guess, because yeah. I'm used to yeah. driving cars with heavy clutches. Um, the, the throttle pedals in. fairly... Um, well, it's a combination of long gearing. I felt like I, w- I kept coming close to stalling because the uh, gearing is so long yep. and the throttle is sort of... Very linear, yes, long but, travel. But the force mm-hmm. that you need... Uh, and then, yeah, the the body motion is it, it, low speed impacts are pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, body motion to me, I always felt like I was, I don't know, I didn't feel super comfortable on twisty roads in the car. And I think that's a combination of the steering and the brakes. But uh, it, I think it, the high speed stability is better than the sort of low speed chuck ability, shall we say? So we did the the typical climb up the mountain road over here. Yes, I did I, the same road. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah, I went and all the way I did. to. Uh, very bad things. Um, mm. And aside from the fact that I had to go down to first for the, the hairpins, it's got a diff and it's got an aggressive diff. And mm. so it lights those fucking tires up and goes. Yeah, it just. And to me, the power was so far out of proportion with yes. everything else yep. that it it's on me, right? I mean, you don't have to dole out all the power, but that boost, it doesn't hit like modern turbos. It's not a <clears throat> and, and throws you, but it just builds and in a way that you I just was unprepared for every single corner. And so I, you know, I kind of got sideways a lot, um, you know, thinking, oh, I got it. I got it. Oh, my God, it keeps building. Yeah, because you're sort of expecting the power curve or the torque to be somewhat more linear. Yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah. It's a spicy meatball. Yes, it made me laugh. It definitely made me laugh. It is not a... um, is like the opposite of an NSX. And I, I, th- I kept thinking about the NSX because I, I, it's the last right-hand drive car that I drove on a mm. twisty road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the NSX has this sort of, it, it's really got good control harmony. It's naturally aspirated. It doesn't have this big lump of torque. Uh, and also it has the turn signals in the right, in the wrong damn place. This car has the turn signals in the right place. They're no, on the left. But which I is, hate it. Really? So this is really interesting. All right, so to clarify... Right, British cars, British right-hand drive spec cars have the turn signal with your on your left hand, which as, is the same as a left-hand drive car. Right. 
in the Japan spec cars, the turn signal moves to the outside to mirror ours. So yes. it's your right hand. So yes. my beat is that way. Mm-hmm. And the first two times I drove the beat in wipers and then I laugh and it's over and it makes perfect sense. Yes. The Carlton pissed me off because I would constantly go to shift and lane change at the same time and I couldn't. Oh, so yeah. I have to shift and then quickly lane change. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the Japanese. I mean, better. this was a, a less of a learning curve, a less of a like. I never accidentally turned on the wipers in this car, okay. which I did in the NSX. Mm. Uh, in any case, so the the NSX is this sort of like you get in and you feel heroic and it's very natural and like it's good for hauling ass. Uh, and this car is like you're really managing the the weight transfer and there's a lot of like sort of uh, cognitive bandwidth being consumed by control forces and inputs that you need to make to the brakes versus you know the steering versus the way the chassis is going to react and then there's when you come off the gas in this car very quickly there's a double hit there's a you know it blows off the boost (laughs) but there's a bang bang You, you you really have to slow down your right foot coming off increase your right foot speed putting on the gas and then dial it down to a 0.2 on the brake pedal mm-hmm. so i that's what i felt i was like i got yeah. there's a lot to manage yeah, yeah. Um, that was my impression of the car also it uh the the m5 to me feels much more like cohesive. a sedan that is a sports car mm-hmm. and this to me i was like this is not really a sports sedan like it's a fast sedan but you know conceptually it feels like it's closer to like a 69 or a 63 because it's not a car that inspires you to haul ass uh, on a, on a technical really, road right. the way that an M5 does. An M5, you want to drive it like a 911 or choose sports car of your choice. And this car did not give me that impression. Like I was amused, but I was also like, I laughed. I, yes. I laughed out loud, but at the top of the I hill. I also screamed. Yeah, on the top of the hill, I turned around to Anthony and I'm like, are you okay? And no, I said, how are you doing? And he was like, I gave me a look. I'm like, this is like a fucking couch with a rocket strip attached yeah. to the back. Yeah. Where, so it reminds me of 500E because your 500E yeah. on that yeah. road was very much out of sorts. Yes. Brakes it, were on fire. It, it just was miserable. is not intended for that use. And Autobahn you can tell car. that the, yeah, and you can tell that the M5 is designed to do a sports car thing yeah. with uh, back doors and the other two, you know, being 500E and Carlton are not like that. They're Autobahn. So the crazy thing yeah, is. Or maybe fast sweepers. I don't know. I didn't do any fast sweepers. I didn't either. I mean, given that the arrow, the arrow stuff with no lift, it's probably great. Mm-hmm. Um, did you get to speed on the highway? Mm, I was only on for one exit. Okay. Uh, so I used six gear once and it's very tall. Uh, did you notice how tall? <laughs> um, I, I was, I don't know. My guess is probably 80 miles an hour is 2000 RPM. And no, <laughs> not even. <laughs> really? You can't actually use sixth gear until you're over 80. Um, because 90, I think it was 92 indicated, is, which was like 91 actual, is is just a hair under 2,000 RPM. Oh, and you well, are. I guess I was going faster yeah. than I thought. Mm. <laughs> Surprising that thing. But the, the motor is just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed it's, that. It's bogging yeah. at 80 miles an hour. This is yeah. geared in stupid. I mean, that's what you have long. to do in order to go 180 miles an hour. No, that happens in fifth. Oh, really? Yeah. Sixth is an overdrive. So this is an overdrive here's economy the gear. Here, well, here's the thing. The transmission was off the shelf C4. And the only diffs that they had with limited slip in the whole in the GM parts depot were holding V8 Commodore. So Commodore was Senator, right? Commodore was their, their Calais, whatever. The f- I can't remember. Uh, they had Commodore V8 diffs with limited slips in them. And they had two gear ratios. And they chose the shorter one. And that was made for a different transmission. And this is what you got. Mm. They didn't have any time to develop this stuff. Interesting. Um, so it's geared. Yeah, it has. Long. I noticed really tall six gear yeah. as Unusably well. Unusably tall. 
Um, what else to note? Nobody gave a shit that I was driving it, even though the car's British plates on it. Yeah. Uh, except for a pair of youths in a 535 IS. <laughs> We're just like, as I drove by. Um, but yeah, nobody else gave a shit or noticed what the car was. I mean, that's the point of that car. It's fairly subtle, I think. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like, to, I guess to an American audience who are not used to seeing an Opal, it just looks like some weird 90s blob. Yeah, it looks like a 90s blob, um, for sure. To me, it's just stunning. I mean, yeah. If I had seen that car go, going the other way out in public, especially because they are so rare. I mean, I made 977 of 950, these cars. only 320 were Carlton's. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah, which is a reflection of the continental market being larger for these cars. So they were supposed they thought they were going to sell uh, eight hundred in the UK. So the, the car was wound up being a sales failure. Mm-hmm. It didn't. Uh, I think it sold nine fifty was total production. Although in German, all the German lit I saw in it, I think it says nine oh seven, um, and all the the English lit says nine fifty. So somewhere in between. Either way, in either case, less than a thousand, fewer cars. than a thousand cars, which is kind of outrageous when you think about it. I mean, how many five hundred Ds were made? Ten thousand two hundred and something. Yeah. Uh, 20,000 2.316s. I mean, all yeah, of these. Uh, Ferrari Daytonas, they made 1,200 of. Wow. Uh, so they made 7,000 Ferrari Testarossas. And 320 Lotus Carlton's. That's so crazy. Well, yeah, and, uh, and, uh, Carlton under 1,000 yeah. of these things. I mean, yeah. the Gull Wings, they made 1,400 Gull Wings. They made 1,858 300 SL Roadsters. Yeah. Like, this car is properly, properly rare, which yeah. is why they are as expensive as they are. Because while I was driving it, and I was like, oh, this is not as good as an M5 to drive on this kind of road. And I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, well, they're pretty expensive. And then I was like, it's because they're so rare. Yeah. And it's also such an outlier, right? M5 is a dynasty. There's this ongoing, they're still making these M5s, and it's a recognizable bread and butter pedestrian car. This is a never before or since kind of car. Yeah. And it's the only Lotus to ever, the only four-door sedan to ever wear a Lotus badge, mm-hmm. period. Yeah, and it is listed as being yeah. built by Lotus. It is not. So Opal refused, this is another thing, refused to put a VIN plate on it. Mm-hmm. They would not allow the car to be called an Opal because it did not conform to Opal's uh, testing regime and it didn't pass their internal tests and whatever. And so uh, the manufacturer of record of this car is Lotus. Lotus type 104, 106. Um, the, uh, so I, I made mention this in the video. They took one of the cars to Nardo and it was 40C. So it was at... 100, 100 degrees outside. Um, yeah. And they found that after 30 minutes of continual operation at top speed, the the transmission and diff fluids uh, were just reaching critical high temp. So they're basically starting to overheat. And so they made a change. I think they made a change to the diff of finning on there and got that to below the critical point, but they were maxed out at 30 minutes. And they did, the decision came in, hey, they ran out of time and budget. The decision came in to leave it alone because the car could only do 40 minutes at top speed before it ran out of gas. So it was, I love the difference between, you know, Merce, the way Mercedes engineer stuff was like, well, one day when an asteroid falls right onto the windshield, we need to make sure the angle of the windshield will reflect the asteroid into another planet. And then, you know, the, 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 the Lotus sort of like we have no budget ways, right. Uh, it's not going to happen. So just fuck it. It never gets um, that hot in continental European. Yeah, it's not 40 degrees. And it's just who's fucking doing this for, you know, who's doing that 300 kilometers an hour for, four, you know, 40 minutes straight. No one. Fuck it. Uh, I love that. I love that little tidbit. Um, it's pretty outrageous. Yeah. Uh, so the book was useful. The book was amazing. 
Um, so there is one book. It's quite expensive. I was not able to find a, a copy in time. So Derek was nice enough to lend me his. Um, From written, the DTAM Scott Automotive Library. Yeah, written by the guys who were there. I mean, And it's numbered, I think, also. It's a limited yeah. production of books and they all have numbers on mm-hmm. them. But uh, yeah, I always admired this car. So I bought a copy of the book. I thought I was like, oh, yeah, I got a, such a good deal on it. You're like, yeah, these books are like three, four, or five hundred dollars or whatever they cost. And I was like, oh, that's not what I paid. I went back and looked. <laughs> I, I paid good. kind of a lot for that yeah. book, but I just I wanted it so badly because it's the only thing of its type, and I oh, always wanted one of those cars. That car is just I, I. So you know, the owner of it sent it here and on a one way ticket. He's like, you should have it because he knows how much I want one, and I just can't. It's too big. It's too complex. It's too fast. It's geared too long. I just can't. It's not I, a Jason Camisa car. I thought about like, wow, what what could this is what the perfect road it? trip car for me? Like air conditioning, fourteen hundred RPM. You know, like it probably gets decent gas mileage. I I have the van for that, and I don't need a big. It's really an autobahn car. It's I an mean, even in car. England, it's a little bit too much car. It's a lot too much. I mean, the fucking you'll you'll see in the video. You saw the clip it's a of good that. Texas car. The, the amount of drama that this car caused in the parliament where they were like this is unacceptable it's reprehensible and yeah. there was a, this was outrageously irresponsibly fast and i don't well need they that thought it was it still is come on yeah but no more so than a porsche 928 or a ferrari oh it would blow the doors off the 928 acceleration wise wouldn't it well i just mean the idea yeah. of running around in a car that can do 170 yeah. miles an hour well, that, that was, you'll see again in the video, that was really, this whole thing was an example of the title that I'd like to give to Revelations, and I don't think I will, is that this is proof that the Brits hate poor people. Because, I mean, no one had a problem. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you name an episode on the internet of a video that? Maybe I should. But I mean, the idea there is that, you know, the, the, nobody had a you problem. You have to with expand on that idea yeah, right. a little bit. Nobody had a problem with 180 mile an hour to- Ferrari Testarossa. But, you know, when you listen to the parliamentary hearings, these barons and lords and sirs and these guys with aristocratic titles literally said the words. And, you know, it's ludicrous that car makers should make cars this fast. And some of them are cheap cars that may be purchased by those incapable of driving them safely. That's a quote. I love the the fact that they associate income with ability to properly drive a fast car. Having interacted with a lot of people with great deals of money who are not any more qualified to operate a fast car. That that is true. And I will admit there were two parallel discussions happening in the parliament. One of them was uh, Sir Anthony Grant, I believe, was the one who was making that argument. And he was also saying that the state of British drivers as a whole was reprehensible. And even the Swiss laughed at them. And, you know, we need better driver training. But then it became about even poor people can afford this car and that shouldn't be. Which is sort of noteworthy because it was 45,000 pounds, which is a healthy stack of dollars or pounds. It was twice the price. So this is the crazy thing is it was twice the price of a Carlton GSI 24 valve, which itself was twice the price of the base of a base Omega, the base Carlton. So it was four times the price of, you know, figure the the base car was a Mustang four cylinder rental car versus a GT 500. That same thing kind of happens now. Right. And so they, you know, their point was it was expensive for a Vauxhall, you know, and they were saying it was an outrageous price. Meanwhile, it was half the price of a Testarossa and it was, you know, far, it was 10%. It was 10% cheaper than an M5. Less than an M5. I think it was less than an M5. Yeah. Um, and I, that was part and of. And they point. didn't give a shit about M fives. M five was limited to one hundred and fifty five. Yeah, so they were worried about top speed. It was top than speed. acceleration. Yeah. 
And actually, uh, Bob Eaton, who is the, that chairman of GM, he was multiple times on record saying, I don't care about top speed. Top speed just happened to have been a benefit. Byproduct of, of the, the gearing and the horsepower and the, the horsepower aerodynamics. And aero. Yeah. Um, he wanted the fastest, the car was to be the fastest accelerating, because of course he's American, and we, well, we care about acceleration. It was to be the fastest accelerating sports sedan on the planet, and it was. Um, but uh, the top speed is what caught the attention, to the point where they the Vauxhall stopped advertising the top speed on a, the fastest sedan in the world. So ironic, Alanis. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, dream car. I'm so glad I got the opportunity to drive this thing. Yes, because the other little tidbit that emerged from this, can we share this publicly about the quantity of these things in the United States that you're aware of? Uh, you can go for it. I can uh, probably say the same. So far as I know. Haggerty insures two Carltons in the United States, and we know the owner of the other one, and that yeah. car is not currently being operated or roadworthy. Yeah. He did tell me that he needed a new bell housing for it, and he brought it back from the continent in his luggage. Um, oh that's cool he <laughs> is now actually a haggerty employee i just found out this past week oh. um but uh anyway the, cars off the yeah, road so that there's cars off the that road. car and then there's this one. right i reached out to him two years ago to do this revelations and he, he was why? like it needs a headliner and it, it it's not running and then the other owner was in texas and turns out this is the guy that i met mm-hmm. so it just randomly i said you know what just I'll, I'll ship it i don't care and he was like one way keep it I'm not keeping it. I can't do that. But I, it will be for sale, uh, possibly through Haggerty Marketplace, um, which is Haggerty's new auction site uh, of about which I know nothing. Um, but Same. Uh, yeah, it uh, one way or another is going to be for sale. It's a nice car. It is righteously beautifully, righteously very fast. beautiful. Yeah, it's in really good nick, as they'd say over there. Really good nick. Yeah, uh, with you know with a and this one's got that competition block in it and i know i don't know the details about it so hopefully that's stronger not that i think those things had engine problems anyway but well it certainly is stronger in the horsepower department well i would assume so i've never driven another one and it probably i, probably I think never will. all six people who listen to this show who know what a carlton carlton is will really appreciate it but i think it what i'm trying to say is that this car has virtually no presence in the mind of an american enthusiast yeah it's just a car we never got here, and it's a, from a brand we never got here. Yeah. Two brands we never got here. I mean, what could be more obscure uh, than a Lotus badged Opel slash Vauxhall sedan? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but it should really be on everyone's radars. It's one yeah. of the high points of the nineteen. I was always reading British mags, and that's why I knew what it was as, mm-hmm. a, as a child. I was always reading British car magazines, yeah. and so I desperately wanted one of these. I still rather do, but do you want to buy this one? Nope. Why not? Because it's too much money. We split it. No. Come on. Oh. I don't want it to go anywhere. I want it to stay local so I can look at it and drool and lick it a little bit. and just Yeah, you know. it is genuinely stunning. Yep. In okay. any case, now you have learned perhaps more than you knew in the past. I think most people will have learned something about. I the hope Carlton so, and I hope the I hope episode, the Revelations the episode does well. It's one of these. It's one of these episodes that I really enjoyed. Really enjoyed researching, writing, and performing. Um, and then driving the car. And I don't know if that'll that'll pay off in view counts. Yes. I'm always struggling uh, to figure out what the YouTube algorithm or the YouTube public finds is interesting. I, this is a story that if people know about it, they will be interested in the car and the story yes. because it's great. But there's that activation energy, this exactly. hump that people need to right. get over. And, you know, I can never figure out what people are going to like. Like the Audi RS2 video people found very say, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that that was going to be sort of obscure because there's not that many people who are into vintage Audis and it's a car that never came to the U.S. But people seem really people interested. Good in video. The RS2. We got to Thank really you. hear it and see yes. it in action and you were hauling ass in that thing we um paulo mic'd the engine compartment which we don't normally do 
Uh, so you get these really great turbo noises. <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. So I really yeah. liked hearing that. Uh, yeah, so the RS2 video uh, did better than I thought I was going mm -hmm. to do. Because sometimes I make these videos where I'm just like, this is a car I want to make a video about, so mm -hmm. I'm going to make a video about it, and someone will like it. But it's just, it, I'm not interested in the view count play necessarily when I choose a car like that. Right, so, me neither. And so you never, like your 500e, that yeah. video is over 5 million views on YouTube, yeah. plus Facebook, plus everywhere else. That's insanity. So if people like the 500e, maybe the Carlton will track similarly. Yeah. Uh, in any case. Which would you have? That's my last question. We can, I'll let you go. Uh, I would choose the Carlton because it is manual and it is so rare and is such a like singular moment in time. Like I said before, never before or since. And it's just this larger than life. It's this forbidden fruit thing also. I mean, you'll never see. God, I have no idea how I would have someone look after that car or who I would have I to mean, look after that car. I mean, it's parts. I have a beat. It can't be any worse than that. Um, but yes, I would choose the Carlton. I would also choose the Carlton. So Car Lotus Carlton over 500E. You heard it here first. Yes. Um, On the Car Margin Show, part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. Deet, deet, deet.